Well, guys, we are going to be wrapping up this Compassion Series today, and I'm excited for today's sermon simply because I love talking about Jesus, and I love talking about the example that he modeled for us. Uh, my favorite, my absolute favorite sermons to preach on are stories of Jesus while he walked on this earth. And you know, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, actually, he says this, he goes, uh, if we were to write down all the things that Jesus did while he was on this earth, there wouldn't be a big enough book. There wouldn't be enough ink or paper to write it all down. So the stories that we do have were specifically chosen by the Holy Spirit um, to be important for us. And so each story is precious for us to learn from, and, and that includes today's story as well. So today we're going to be talking about how Jesus perfectly modeled his father in showing compassion to those who were suffering. Uh, last week, we talked about how God is compassionate to everyone who is in suffering. He's a God of all comfort. And whatever form of suffering you're going through, we learn that God sees us. He hears us. He, he hasn't forgotten us, and he knows. He knows what you're going through. Well, Jesus followed the Father's example perfectly, and um, we're going to look at that this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read six verses today, only six verses. And honestly, I think that if the rest of the New Testament were lost and we could never read it again, but we had this passage, I honestly think we would have enough of a description of Jesus that we would want to believe him and we would want to follow him. Because in this passage, we see the sweetness of our Jesus. We, we see the power of our Jesus. We see Jesus as an amazing Savior. Um, in fact, we see the full person of Jesus right here in these six verses. It is a precious passage. So let's go through it this morning. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. Soon afterward. Soon after what? Well, Jesus had just healed a Roman centurion servant. This centurion's, uh, this servant of his, it was the, his highest, most valued servants, and he was so sick that he was about to die, and Jesus healed him. And it's one of those amazing stories in the Gospels where even Jesus is amazed. I mean, he, he was super amazed. Jesus was surprised at the faith of the centurion. Jesus was about to go to the centurion's house to heal the servant, but the centurion actually stops and says, no, Jesus... Just say the word. You have authority to just speak the word and it will be done. And, and I understand authority myself because I'm a man of authority myself. So when I speak, things get done. I don't have to be there. All that has to happen is for me to speak the word. So Jesus, just speak and it will be done. And Jesus is like, wow, that's awesome. Do you see that, disciples? I haven't seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. And this guy's a Gentile, and he has more faith than any Israelite. And sure enough, the servant was healed. And soon afterward, right after this, we come to this story. Jesus went to a town called Nain. Now, here's kind of a picture of where Nain is. It's a little south of Nazareth. If you've been to Israel, it's just a little bit. I think you go to Nazareth when you go to Israel. But uh, it's just a little south of that says his disciples were with him, and a crowd was tagging along with him. You know, it seems that when you read in the scriptures, wherever Jesus is, there's always a large crowd going with him. And it says in verse 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. 
And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, I kind of find, of inter- kind of find it interesting that this passage tells us that a large crowd was with Jesus and a large crowd was with this woman. Two crowds are converging on each other. And what's interesting is that one crowd is carrying a dead person and the other crowd has the resurrection and the life walking in it. And these two crowds are going to converge on each other. And let me tell you something, there is going to be fireworks because the kingdom of darkness is going to meet the kingdom of light. So picture this, two crowds converging on each other, and as they approach this little town called Nain, a funeral procession is coming out of the town. A dead person was being carried out. Now, I want to stop here for a second. I want to try to paint the picture for us, because I know that we're not really kind of used to funeral processions. For us, a funeral procession is you put a coffin into a hearse, and then the hearse closes the door and kind of waits by the parking lot. And then you put all these flags on everybody else's car and everybody follows that hearse all the way to the cemetery. That's what a funeral procession is for us, okay? They didn't have hearses back then. I'm not sure if you were aware of that or not, but they didn't have hearses back then. They had a different way of doing it. They, they carried the body out. On, and you know, some of your translations will actually say they carried the body out in a coffin. That is a bad translation. The proper tr- translation is they carried it out on a beer. Now, be, now clarify, that's B-I-E-R, not B-E-E-R. Some of you guys are like, sweet, that's awesome. That's like something Wisconsin should have. You know? We carried Tommy out on a big can of beer. It was awesome. No, not that kind of beer. A beer is almost like a, a stretcher where they would lay the body on. Here's kind of a picture of it. This one has wheels. I don't think the one that they would have here would have wheels, but they would just lay the body on it. It wouldn't be in a coffin. It just, they would just carry dead bodies on it, and that body would lay on it, and they would take it out. Now, back then, when someone died, they had to have a funeral pretty quick because the body would deteriorate quickly. So they would carry the body out of town to where they would bury it and have it interred into the ground. Um, my... My grandma died. She was actually, she lived in Bolivia. My, I don't know if you know the story, but my grandpa was killed by Ayode Indians. He was a missionary down there. And my grandma stayed in Bolivia for many years after, well, after he was killed. And while, one of the years while she was there, she got malaria really, really bad. And the doctor came over to the house, and he was working with her and trying to, to help her. And she eventually died. And the doctor pronounced her dead. And so because they don't have refrigeration down there in this town, it was in the middle of the jungles, uh, he went and got the coroner. And the coroner came over, and they were discussing plans and what to do with Grandma's body because they had to get it in the ground before it started deteriorating. Well, while they're talking, Grandma comes back to life. And she, they're like, ah, there, she's alive. And so they were all excited, and, you know, and thankfully they weren't too quick to get her in the ground because she, she pulled out. And Grandma has a story about what she saw and everything, which is pretty cool. Now, you have to understand that in those days when someone died, they would hire mourners. They were professional mourners that would come and mourn with the family. And this week, I kind of looked into that. I've always heard that my whole life, but I decided, you know, I'm going to look into that, see what that's all about. And so these mourners, they were... They would come and they would weep with the family. They would come alongside and they would eulogize the person or they would sing, you know, songs about the person and they were there really kind of to comfort and mourn with them. And, uh, you know, you think it's just something that was in time of antiquity, but actually 
professional mourners are still happening today. It's still happening today. In fact, there is a funeral home in Texas, Golden Gate Funeral Home or something like that, where they still offer the services of professional mourners. Isn't that crazy? It's part of the price that if you want to hire it, you can, you can do that. In England, uh, you can hire professional mourners, and they come in kind of undercover. They get dressed up real nice, and they act like the third uncle or the third aunt, you know, removed from the family, and they will mourn, and they will cry, and they, they you know, if they don't expect a lot of people to show up at the funeral, they'll hire these mourners to make it look like, you know, oh, she was really, really loved. Uh, there's a woman in Japan who she's the most sought-after professional mourner. Because I guess she's really good at it. Um, she'll lay down on the ground and beat the ground. She'll wail. I mean, it, it's crazy. There's one guy that he actually uh, tried to uh, advertise himself as a professional mourner. He said he would charge $150 an hour, and he would get up to $1,000 an hour if he wanted him to take it up a notch. And I guess one of the taking up a notch is he would actually jump into the grave on top of the coffin and beat on the coffin if he wanted him to do that. <laughs> like, whoa, okay. That's just weird. But anyways, the mourners, you had to know that they were part of this procession. And some of the mourners, I'm sure, were musicians, and some were singers, and they'd be playing music and singing. And I can uh, see this happening, especially during this procession. I've, I've actually seen that happen once in my life. I was in Venezuela, um, and we had a, a friend. He was a pilot, and he had crashed, and he died. And so they had the, the service after, and I was attending the service. My wife and I were attending the service. And from the church, they carried the coffin all the way to the cemetery. And everybody was walking in procession, and they were singing this beautiful song in Spanish. They were saying, like, we're, you know, we're on our way to the beautiful city where God himself dwells. And um, we're going to sing with a chorus of angels, and we're going to be by the crystal sea. And it was this very moving, emotional time as we're singing, as we're walking along with, with the coffin. And I can pretty sure this is pretty close to what was happening in this story. Now, the dead man on the bier was the only son of his mother. And his mother happened to be a widow. She had already lost her husband, so now she had lost her husband and her son. Imagine that kind of grief. And not only that, but here was this woman who was left to live out the rest of her life with no one to help her. No man in the house to do the work of a man. She had to do it herself. She had to take care of herself. She didn't have a companion in life. She didn't have a protector in life. She didn't have a provider in life. She was left alone to fend for herself. Now, that's incredibly hard even in this day and age, but I'll tell you, in that day and age, it was basically a death sentence. She would have to rely on the pity and the compassion of those around her to take care of her. And that might last for a little while, but we all know life goes on and she would get forgotten and she would have to do everything herself just to survive. That's what this woman is facing. And, and some of you here today or watching online, you, you understand this feeling. You, you understand the emotions this woman is going through right now. There are some of you here today or watching online who are dealing with the grief of losing your husband. Maybe losing your husband and your son or even sons. You have had to and you are dealing with incredible amounts of grief and concern for your future. I mean, you don't know how you're even going to make it in the future. Who's going to take care of you? Who's going to make sure that you're okay? Who's going to check, check in on me? What am I going to do? And you're having for the first time in your life to learn how to do finances. 
You're learning how to change light bulbs. You're, you're learning how to fix things when they break. You're finding out how often you're supposed to change the oil in the car, put salt in the water softener. These are all things that you never even had to think about before. You're thinking about how you'll never celebrate Thanksgiving together anymore or Christmas together anymore or birthdays anymore or anniversaries anymore. And on and on it goes, and it's so easy to just let your mind go crazy and let your, your mind run wild with fear and anxiety, maybe even anger at God. And I get it. I'm sure this woman in the story is facing all these emotions right now. Let's keep reading. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, very quickly, something interesting here. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke uses this title for Jesus. He calls him Lord. Now, in the Greek, that word Lord is kurios. It's the same title that you remember the adulterous woman called Jesus. And it means supreme in authority. One who rules over all things with all authority and with all power. That's what Lord means. And Luke chooses to address Jesus right here in this story as Lord. And I think it's because what we're about to see will be a manifestation or definite proof that Jesus is indeed exactly that. He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Well, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Now, do you see that second service? When the Lord what? Saw her. Like we talked about last week, God sees us in our suffering. He sees us. When Jesus saw this woman, he saw her in all of her grief. He saw her in the depths of her sorrow. He saw her in the midst of her mourning. He saw her suffering. He saw her. This woman did not escape the notice of God. In fact, really no one does. Whatever suffering that you're in the midst of right now, today, remember, God sees you. You're not invisible to him. He sees you. And he knows what you're going through. This woman was seen by our Lord. You know, I wonder what this woman was thinking about when she woke up that morning, if she even slept that night. I can't imagine everything that was going through her mind. I'm sure there was a lot. There's depression and hopelessness and dread and, and fear. And I'm sure her mind was on overload, overload thinking about all these things. And those of you going through grief like this, you, you know what that's like. The second you wake up, the first thing you remember is that you're all alone. And that thought crushes you every morning. It makes you not even want to get out of bed some morning. I would encourage you, the second you wake up, try to develop a discipline of waking up and instantly reminding yourself that you are seen, and you're seen by God. And know this, listen to this, God's heart goes out to you. He has compassion on you. And I think if you learn to do that, it will begin to change your day, like it did for this woman. She was seen by Jesus. And I highly doubt that she ever dreamed that this day she was going to be seen by the Lord. She never dreamed that she would meet the Lord that day, but she did. And it would forever change her life. The Lord saw her. And it says that when he saw her, his heart went out to her. In other words, he had compassion on her. Jesus 
had compassion. Now, notice it isn't a compassion in a way where he walks by her and just feels bad for her, like, wow, poor lady, I hope she's okay, and then keeps walking. No, the compassion of Jesus always entered into that person's sorrow and that person's pain and and met them there. Whenever Jesus saw someone suffering and he had compassion, he always did something about it, always. You know, in Isaiah, it describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This Lord that we're talking about is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Want to know why? Because he joins us in our sorrows. He joins us in our grief. He meets with us there. Jesus felt her sorrow. He felt her grief. And he feels yours too. Why? Because he's with you in it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of death. Let me ask you a question. When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, where's Jesus? He's right there with us. He joins us because he's a God of compassion. True compassion enters into other people's pain and suffering and meets with them there. And I know it isn't always pretty to do that. I know it can get pretty ugly and messy. But that's what compassion does. We need to demonstrate in our lives the compassion Jesus demonstrated in his. Our compassion must lead us to action. So it says Jesus walks right up to this woman. He came up to her and he says, don't cry. Jesus' first words out of his mouth in this story are, don't cry. Excuse me? How dare you tell me not to cry? Who do you think you are that you can come up to me right now in the middle of this funeral procession for my only son and tell me not to cry? My son is dead. My husband is dead. Don't tell me not to cry. I'm going to cry. Now, it's easy to misread this and possibly add certain emotions because we're only reading this, not hearing Jesus say it. But I'm pretty confident he didn't come up to her and be like, hey, woman, don't cry. I'm sure he wasn't rebuking this woman for crying. No, in fact, I'm positive he wasn't. I'm sure it was with extreme gentleness and incredible kindness that he came up to her and he said, don't cry. Don't cry. I'm sure he said it in such a way that it almost made her look at him with expectation like, why are you telling me that? What's about to happen that you would say that? It's a little bit like this. I can picture, you know, I remember back in my first year of marriage, I worked at a where I, would, I was building septic leach lines and septic tanks. And I remember I had to get this one done because the inspector was coming in the morning and I had to be shoveling gravel into a wheelbarrow and going and dumping it into the leach lines, four foot deep, this four different leach lines. And I'm working, I'm shoveling in the middle of the Arizona heat and I was exhausted in the afternoon. A guy came up to me and he says, don't, don't do any more. And the way he said it was like, it was the expectation that there was something else coming. And I'm like, Why? You know I need to get this done because the inspector's coming tomorrow. He says, because the guy with the backhoe is going to come and do it. And I was like, sweet (laughs) So I can picture the same happening with this woman and Jesus. By the simple fact that Jesus is telling her, don't cry, it insinuates that there's a reason why he's saying that. Why is he asking me not to cry? Let's keep reading. He says, then he went up and he touched the beer. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. Can you imagine this? Right in the middle of the funeral procession, Jesus steps up. And that, you know, I've, I've done many funerals, but I've never had an interruption like this. 
I, I wish I did, but I, I never have. And I can imagine the men carrying the beer and, and really the whole procession coming to a halt and looking at this man wondering what in the world is this man doing? Talk about rude. Talk about awkward. Like, should we drive this man away? Should we tell him to please leave us alone? Should we ignore him? What should we do? But no, it says the bearers stood still. The whole procession came to a stop, and Jesus walks up, and he touches the beer. Now, this is a bit of a no-no. He was risking the chance of becoming impure by touching something that was dead. But Jesus, he wasn't afraid of death, was he? He knew that he had authority over death, amen? And so he walks up and he touches the beer. He touches it, and I love that. I love that it says he touched it. I love all the instances that Jesus touched. In Mark, it says a leper came running up to Jesus, fell to the ground, and says, Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you could make me whole, whole again. You could make me clean again. And he's covered with scabs and rotting flesh filled with leprosy. And it says, Jesus had compassion on him, and he reached out and touched the person. He knew he had authority over leprosy. He wasn't scared of it. It was a touch of compassion. Jesus had many touches of compassion. Two blind men came up to Jesus, probably with scabby and gooky eyes, and they couldn't see. And Jesus reaches out and touches their eyes. Peter's mother-in-law had, had a really bad fever, and he reaches out and he touches her hands. Now, we would go, oh, I'll just pray from afar. I don't want to get germs on me. Not Jesus. A deaf man who couldn't speak came up to him, and Jesus touches his ears and touches his tongue. Over and over again, Jesus touched the sick, touched the hurting and the suffering with hands of compassion, and he met them where they were. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. He's so close with us that he touches those who are hurting. We're touched by God himself. Well, Jesus comes up, and he touches the beer, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus doesn't talk to the pallbearers. He doesn't talk to the mother. He doesn't talk to the crowd. No, he directly talks to the dead son. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Do you know that Jesus did that three times? Three times he spoke to a dead person, and he told them to get up. And guess what they did? They got up. You guys ever hear of a guy named D.L. Moody? He was this famous preacher from a little while ago. He was actually from Chicago. And somebody asked him to do a funeral. And so he decided, you know what? I'm going to look through the Gospels and find a funeral that Jesus spoke at or gave a sermon at. And then I'll just kind of build my sermon off of that. And he searched through all the Gospels and he couldn't find any. No matter how hard he searched, he couldn't find one because every funeral Jesus attended, he broke the whole thing up by raising the dead person to life. You think you hate death? Jesus hated it even more. He regarded death as an enemy that had to be defeated. And we all know that's exactly what he did on that cross. He defeated death. Well, Jesus looks at this dead young man with two simple words. He says, get up. Get up. I know you're dead, but I'm not scared of death. Get up. And what happens? The dead man sat up and began to talk. 
I don't know why, but I find that kind of funny. He sits up and instantly begins to talk. Isn't that weird? I mean, if it was a woman, I'd understand. <laughs> if it was a woman, I, I can totally imagine her sitting up and picking up where she left off. See what I've been always telling you? Never listen to me. I mean, she'd just get right up there. Just kidding. But this is a man. Just a young man, no less. I'd give anything to know what he said. I mean, I can imagine him being like, oh, man. Who are all these people here? Why am I sitting on a beer? And who are you? Well, young man, you are looking at the one who is the resurrection and the life. You were dead, and now you're alive. Because the Lord, the supreme ruler of all, had compassion on your mother. And he simply spoke, and you are now alive. That's who he is. Now, the next most precious thing about this passage is that Jesus gave him back to his mother. Gave him back. What does it mean he gave him back? I'll tell you what it means. Death had taken him. Death had robbed her of her only son. Death had come into her home and taken away the most precious thing in her life. And you know, that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? He just takes. He's a taker. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. He's a taker. And he had taken her son away from her. But Jesus shows up and says, oh, no, you don't. And he raises him from the dead, and he gave him back to his mother. Here you are, dear woman. Here is your son. This is why I told you, do not cry. And he gave her back her son. You see, Jesus is a giver. He gives back. Now, I know this is a pretty drastic example of how Jesus gave back to someone, but I'll tell you, he does the same for you and for me. The enemy comes into our lives and he takes and he takes and he takes. He kills, he steals, he destroys, and he he leaves us in our pain. He leaves us in our physical pain. He leaves us in emotional pain. He leaves us in mental pain. He leaves us in suffocating grief. He leaves us paralyzed. He leaves us in financial ruin and he rubs our noses and heaps all kind of shame on us. He leaves us in our brokenness and in our darkness and in emptiness. The enemy's a taker. That's all he does. But Jesus isn't. Jesus, our Lord, is a giver. And in his compassion, he comes into our lives and he comes into our suffering. He comes into our grief and he comes into our pain and he comes into our wounds and into our brokenness and into our messed up situation and he gives back. In Psalms, it says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That's what Jesus does. He heals, he binds up, he fixes, he repairs, he restores. He's a giver. 
And he gives us his love. He gives us his peace. He gives us his comfort. He gives us his power. He gives us his grace. And on and on I could go. Our God of compassion is a giver. Amen. Well, when Jesus does this, it says they were all filled with awe and praised God. Can you imagine being in a funeral procession and an ending like this? Holy smokes. That'd be awesome. And I'm sure everyone was rejoicing and praising God. Except maybe the professional mourners. They were probably wondering if they're going to get paid or not. No, I'm sure even they were praising God. They were filled with awe and praised God. Listen to me. When we experience the true compassion of God, it leads us to praise. When we experience the compassion of God, even in our pain, we will praise God. Even in our suffering, we will praise God because we know that he loves us. And we know that he's a giver. And he will bind up our wounds. He will heal our broken hearts. And when we experience the truth of that, in our darkest of nights, we can still rejoice and we can still sing praises to him. In Habakkuk, it says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the, the field produces no food, and there's no sheep in the pen, and there's no cattle in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like your life? Do your crops keep failing? Are your sheep pens empty? Are there no cattle in your cattle stalls? Can you identify with this? Then you need to hear this. Your God sees you. He hears you. He's not forgotten you. And he knows. He knows what you're going through. And most importantly, he's with you. He joins you in your suffering. Why? Here's why. Because he's a God of compassion and a God of all comfort. I encourage you to step out of your prison cell and allow God to envelop you with his forgiveness, envelop you with his long-suffering, with his graciousness, with his compassion. Stop resisting him. Stop being angry at him. See God for who he really is by looking at Jesus because Jesus is the perfect representation of him. And hopefully today's story has allowed you to see how great our compassionate God is. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are that kind of God. God, you see us in the darkest of nights. You hear our cries to you. You have not forgotten us. God, there is some who are here this morning or watching online, they need to hear that. They need to be reminded of that because they are suffocating in their suffering. And 
And I pray, God, that you would break through and you would wrap your arms around them, that you would hold them, that you would whisper the words they need to hear from you this morning. May they know how great of a God you are and how compassionate you are. And I pray this in the name of our Jesus, who is Lord over all. Let it be so. Guys, I love you very, very much. Have an amazing Thanksgiving. If anybody would like to be prayed for, please come up to the corners and they would love to do that.